Mountain people? You're the hearty souls, slid your way on in today. Glad you made it safely, glad you're here. Uh, we're in week two of our series, and what are we calling it? Everybody together? The struggle is real. If you don't know about that, you're figuring it out. It's a hashtag that we use to kind of be sarcastic about a problem that we whine about that we probably really shouldn't be whining about. Uh, uh, one of those first world problems. So I asked on Twitter and Facebook for people to send examples. I got some doozies. Here's a couple for you. Uh, Nathan McDade says, when you, when you get in your car after your wife drove it and she didn't move the seat back, what do we tell Nathan? We tell him, the struggle is real, Nathan. Okay. Uh, Dixie says, I took the express lane on 95 by White Marsh, but then I look over and realize there's no traffic in the non-express lane. I just wasted a dollar forty. What do we tell her, Dixie? Oh, the struggle is real. Boy, that's awful. My battery died on my electric toothbrush. I had to create the brushing motion manually. Wow. The struggle is real. Here's one for you. It's championship weekend in the NFL, and I'm a Ravens fan. Come on, the struggle. If you're wearing purple, you're sitting home this weekend. That's just the way it is. You know, pro probably some of the reason that we find uh, the expression, the struggle is real, kind of humorous, is that I think all of us know that there actually are struggles that are real. And these are not those. <laughs> these are not the ones that are actually real. We, we, we know what it is to have some real struggles. And a lot of us, you know, we, we all kind of carry a backpack of sorts, you know, filled with the stuff that stresses and strains and worries us and weighs us down. Some of us carried that backpack right from 2014 right into to the new calendar page as well. Maybe you s still feel like you have some of that with you now. Time Magazine, I was reading an article, it says we're actually under more stress now than we've ever been. All the technology has not made life easier. It's made it more complex. And so there's more to worry about and remember and responsibilities and deadlines and pressures. Maybe you feel a little bit like um, this little dog here. Have you ever felt like that little dog? <laughs> little dog isn't the only one who's under a lot of stress, right? Sometimes you feel like the whole weight of the world about ready to come down on you. And I, and, and I think, uh, according to the same article, it says a lot of us are worrying more about health now. Are we going to be okay physically, even with all the advances in medicine and all this stuff we worry about health? Maybe you heard about the, the economist that went to the doctor for a checkup and the doctor says, well, let me put it to you in financial terms. You can understand. Uh, he said, uh, your hairline is in recession, <laughs> your waistline is in inflation, and you're probably in depression. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but we do. We, we get a, there's a lot to worry about sometimes with health sometimes. Um, it can be a big concern. Have you ever seen those commercials on TV that have a new miracle drug or a pill or something supposed to really help you, but then the last, like, 30 seconds of the commercial is all about the side effects that are really bad? You know what I'm talking about? I heard one the other day. I don't know if you're going to believe this, but this is, this is a real, this is for real. This is a, this is, well, let me just tell you. Miracle pill to help reduce joint pain. Ready? Here's the warning at the end of the commercial. Ready? I'll try to do my best. I'll talk fast like they do. <clears throat> warning. This drug may cause joint pain. <laughs> may cause nausea, leg cramps, headache, or shortness of breath. Not recommended for pregnant women over the age of 29. 
You may also experience muscle ache, rapid heartbeat, ringing in the ears, or impotence. If trips to the bathroom become greater than 12 per hour, you should call your doctor. You may find yourself becoming lost or confused or speaking in silly sentences. May cause strange scarring in your craniums. May induce the tendency to compulsively repeat the phrase, no can do. You may feel a powerful sense of impending doom. Do not take this product if you have high blood pressure, a few extra pounds, or are uneasy with lockjaw. This drug may shorten your intestines by 21 feet. It has been known to cause birth defects in the user retroactively. Women may experience a lowering of the voice and an increase in ankle hair. Sensations of having a phantom third arm are only illusory. 20 minutes after taking the pill, you have an insatiable craving to take another dose. Avoid this with all your power. <laughs> all right, so that just seems to me like the side effects might be a little worse. I'd rather have joint pain, right? So the, the, the fact is, um, life itself has a big long list of side effects. You know, just if you have a family, you're going to have some struggle and strain and problems. You know, if you have relationships, you're going to have heartache and betrayal. It just works that way. If you have a job, you're going to have responsibilities and pressure. If you have income, you're going to have, you know, things you have to, to pay out. And, and uh, life has this. And a lot of them, the worries and stresses seem to have to do with, um, am I going to be okay? Am I going to have enough money? Am I going to, are we going to have enough money to retire on, provide for college? Are the people I know, is their health and their finances, is everything going to be okay? And all of it just contributes to the anxiety and the stress. And the fact is we know that the struggle is real sometimes, isn't it? The struggle is real. Here's what we're, here's what we're saying. We're just pausing to take a deep breath and say, you know what, the struggle is real, but so is the shepherd. You've got a real shepherd too. We're just going to find some time to be with that shepherd and understand how that picture of God, your shepherd, can change completely how we deal with the struggles that are real in our lives. So we're going to that old friend, Psalm 23. Even people who don't know the Bible, some of them know about Psalm 23. It's right in the middle of the Bible, and it belongs right in the middle of our lives. Psalm 23, that place that describes a shepherd who's, who's for us and cares for us and is in our lives. So let's hear Psalm 23 again, and let's say it together, and I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, if you would, out of reverence for the Word of God and for respect, and this is an opportunity for you to, to say this psalm as a kind of prayer, a kind of statement of your own faith and your own recognition that as you think about your life and whatever real struggles you have, you have a shepherd. So let's say it together. Ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for You are close beside me. Your rod and Your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me, in the presence of my enemies, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Good words, good promises, good shepherd. Have a seat. Let's dive in. You know, sometimes it's helpful to have a fresh translation of 
some of these words because some of us, these are kind of familiar words. So that was the New Living Translation. I'm going to give you another version of it right now, uh, this time in pidgin language. You know, about 600,000 people speak Hawaiian pidgin in this world. It's, it's kind of a, the street language, a heart language of a lot of people in Hawaii, especially sometimes called English Creole or Creole English. So let me give it to you in this. I'll put it on the screen. You can kind of follow along if you want to. Here you go. Psalm 23, pidgin style. Ready? The boss above, he take care of me. Just like the sheep farmer take care of his sheeps. He going to give me everything I need. He let me lie down where the sweet and soft grass stay. He lead me by the water where I can rest. He give me a new kind life. He lead me in the road that stay right. Because I his guy. You like it? I like it too. So last week, last week we dove into the first five words, same with me if you remember them. The Lord is my shepherd. Last week we started with those five words. We focused a lot on that word Lord to remind ourselves if the Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. And the word Lord means boss, the boss of me. It's a reminder that I say, Lord, you're in control. I'm going to do what you say. It also means I don't have to worry about my worries by myself. I give you my worries. Remember, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And so I cast all my cares on him because our shepherd cares for us. Maybe the new thing for you in 2015 is going to be that you're going to learn to turn your worry into prayer. Instead of saying that inner worry dialogue, monologue where we say to ourselves, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You say to the Lord now, Lord, I need you to do what only you can do. Turns into a conversation. That's all prayer is. Turn it over to the Lord. And then we brought in Sam the lamb as a reminder of what it looks like when a shepherd just kneels down and calms down a sheep. Sam was upset and agitated. Almost every service I had him here, but he just kind of calmed down, got used to my voice. As we learn to just cast our cares on the Lord, we can be the same way. So now we want to push forward and let the next group of words sink in. We did the Lord is my shepherd. We're going to do the next four. Same with me if you know what they are. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. I think um, we need to unpack that a little because they're probably words that are often misunderstood. Um, we don't use that word want how that version of the Bible does. You know, one little girl, she was a little confused. She says, well, if the, if the Lord is such a good shepherd, why don't we want him? You know, but it's not saying the Lord is my shepherd, I don't want him. And it's also not saying, you know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I no longer want anything. See, we use the word want to mean like desire. Or if I would like something, we use that word want. I want when, you, when you sit a kid on Santa's lap, Santa says what? What do you want for Christmas? And so that kid gets to say whatever little desire comes into the little head. See? And, and that's how we think of the word want. It's a desire. And of course, our desires, our wants are all mixed bags. Some of them are noble and very good and pleasing to God. I want my family to love the Lord. I want, you know, to be safe and secure, whatever. But some of our wants are kind of twisted and broken. I want, you know, I want an Xbox uh, today. I, 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 you know, our wants are all over the map. I want a new phone. I want a new home. I want to have sex. I want more money. I want a jet ski. I want everything in the REI catalog. These are all wants. But those aren't necessarily what we're talking about here. Psalm 23 is not saying the, the Lord is my shopper. <laughs> not saying the Lord is my um, sugar daddy, not saying the Lord is my Santa, it's saying the Lord is my shepherd, and a shepherd, what does a shepherd do? Provides and protects, guides and corrects. The word want 
here just means lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I shall not lack anything. I shall not lack for anything that I really need because if God is my shepherd, the boss above, he's going to take care of me just like the sheep farmer take care of his sheep. I shall not want. I will not lack anything I really need. So to say I shall not want is a statement of faith where you're saying I'm content with my life and I am satisfied with my shepherd, with my owner, with my master, my, my God. You know, if you're a sheep out in the field and you've got a lion prowling around the camp, right? If you've got a weak or stupid owner, you better be concerned, right? If you're a sheep out there and you're thirsty and you can't find grass on your own and it's in short supply and your master doesn't notice or care, you've got some real stress and some real struggle for sure. But if he's a good shepherd, if he's competent and he cares and he's smart and he knows what's going on, then you have everything you need. And to say, I shall not want, is to, is to say this radical countercultural thing in a culture where everyone's trying to worry and take care of everything. It's a countercultural way to say, I am content. It's a statement of faith that radically says, day by day, I will trust in my God. And this is the keynote of Psalm 23. The rest of the verses are really just an extrapolation of this core idea. They go on to describe in different ways how God loves and cares for and provides for us in the way that a smart, good, caring, competent shepherd should. And he'll never let you be without what you really need. <clears throat> now, we have to kind of quickly add in here that this is not the same as saying that we're always going to have what we want when we sit on Santa's lap, those kind of wants. Nor does it mean that we'll never have any kind of adversity or hardship in our life. I mean, heaven, heaven knows that. You know, all sheep, just because the shepherd might be awesome doesn't mean it's not going to rain that day, right? So all sheep are going to experience rough terrain and scarcity and all the things that sheep do. David himself was the shepherd who wrote this psalm. And he, as a shepherd, experienced that kind of stuff, right? He had to fight off lions and bears. And in his personal life, he had very tough times. This is a guy who, who had enemies like Saul trying to kill him. He went to war with, in battles with people who were trying to kill him. And he had political scandals. He had his own son Absalom estranged to him. So this is a man who knows about some of the toughness and the real struggle in life. And yet he's the guy who says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we know it doesn't mean whatever else it means. It, it can't mean that you'll never be exposed to any difficulty or hardship when we're one of God's sheep. It means that you'll never go without what you truly need in a time of trouble or stress. There won't be an absence of affliction, but there will be the presence of a person. And the person who will be present is your shepherd who will either take you out of danger or take you through it. But either way, you'll never be without what you truly need. I shall not want. Now this idea of God as our shepherd is not unique to Psalm 23. It's all through the Bible in lots of different places. Um, I want to show you one in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, if you want to write that down or mark that. It's a beautiful verse. As I read this verse, I just invite you to personalize it. Make it yours. In fact, think of that worry that's easy for you to think about these days. That strain or stress 
that's on your heart and mind, the struggle that's most real for you right now. Think about that as you, a sheep, hear this verse. Talking about God, it says, He tends His flock like a shepherd. He tends. So He's paying attention. He sees. He knows. If there's a sheep who's limping or struggling or, or not, not finding stuff that it needs to survive, it knows. And it comes up close and it says He gathers the lambs in His arms and carries them close to His heart. One at a time, as they need it, He gently leads those that have young. So you can sense the heart of God, our Good Shepherd, knowing what's going on, and then whatever's scaring that sheep kind of goes away as it's gathered up in the arms of the shepherd and brought close to his heart, where he can calm it. And the shepherd knows and can say to the sheep, you have everything you need, in the, and the sheep just knows the presence and the power of that shepherd. Whatever struggle is most real for you, that's what you ought to sense, is the gathering arms of the shepherd around you, drawing you close to his heart. You know, sheep are calmed by the voice of their shepherd. Did you know that? Even last week with this little Sam the lamb, that crazy animal, it got accustomed to me and comfortable with me and my own voice. And to the end of the time, I, I would uh, talk to it. If I'd come close, it would kind of know who I was. When I said things, it would say, it would say bye, Ben. I mean, it was really, it, it understood my voice, even in that short period of time. But sheep that have been with the shepherd a long time, they're very comforted by that voice. In that day, and still today, I understand, sheep farmers sometimes work together. So they'll take your, your sheep, my sheep, put them all together so they can save time and one of them can take a break and so forth. But at the end of the day, when they need to separate the sheep, it's not hard to do. Because one shepherd goes to one end and one goes to the other and they simply start calling their sheep and those sheep know exactly what to do. That is exactly the situation that the Bible is describing now over in the New Testament where Jesus is speaking and he says in John chapter 10 verse 3, he says the sheep listen to his voice, the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And the sheep, they follow him. Why? Because they know his, they know his voice. And Jesus, of course, is the one talking here. Jesus, in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is telling us, you need to know his voice. You need to be able to hear his voice in your life because that's the one who's going to gather you up and hold you close to his heart. Can you hear the voice of Jesus in your life speaking to you and over you? Because that will have a lot to do with what you think you want and need in life and how you feel in the midst of your struggle. Can you hear the voice of Jesus? Some of our family, we went and saw the movie Selma uh, this weekend. I hope you see it at some time. Uh, it's important. Um, I could barely stay in my seat. I was so excited through many different times, parts of that movie. And, and part of the reason is I get excited about Martin Luther King Jr. because he's one of my heroes uh, he's a preacher who put his faith in action to make a difference for something that mattered not only to the world but to God. And I love that about him. Uh, what excites me the most isn't just the civil rights part or the equality, as important as that all is. What excites me is here's a guy who had a vision of God's kingdom and he, he wanted to help bring it about. One of the ways that he did that is he said, you know, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour uh, in the country. And it ought not to be that way. You've got these black churches, white churches, all these different kind of churches. He says, that's not right. And I love that about him. You know, the world is divided into these ghettos of separation by color, class, and creed. But the church is the one place where all that 
stupidity and hatred and, and stuff is put aside and we're brought back together. We're, we're a different kind of place. That's what I love about Mountain. That's why Mountain is not a white church or a black church. It's not an Asian church or a Hispanic church. It's a church where everyone can be here. The poor, the rich, the old, the young, men and women, we're all here and all of, as the Bible says, dividing walls of hostility are broken down in Jesus Christ who makes us one, one church, one people, all just sheep, of one shepherd so we don't have to get all anxious about demanding our rights in this safe place. That's what the world wants to do. We demand our rights. We demand our rights. You know what? You don't have to demand your rights because you're just a sheep like the person next to you and all of us are under one shepherd. And if he's our shepherd, then all of us together can say, he's my shepherd and I have everything I need. See? Now in the movie... Martin Luther King is facing one of these really tough moments. He's, uh, the struggle is real for him because he, he's got to lead this thing in the next day and there's, you know, it's pressure is mounting. You know, there's been some violence that he didn't want to have happen and there's, uh, the government's on him and, and uh, family is, is uh, really paying a price for this. There's naysayers within his ranks and he's just heavy of heart and doesn't know if he can continue to do this and he, he just is ha- he's kind of wavering in a, in a difficult moment at night before he goes to bed. And he picks up the phone and he calls up Mahalia Jackson. And he simply says, I need to hear God's voice. I need to hear the voice of the Lord. That's all he says. Middle of the night, she answers the phone, turns on the light, her husband's sleeping, she swivels her feet around in her pajamas, wipes the Sleep from her eyes, clears her throat, and in that phone in the middle of the night, she begins to sing. She begins to sing. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm alone. Through the storm and through the night, lead me on. Lead me on through the night. Take my Lord, precious Lord. Take my hand and lead me home. And as she sings, he hears the voice of the Lord. That's what a sheep needs to do in a moment of stress. That's what you need to do in a moment of strain and struggle. And you probably don't have Adele or Carrie Underwood on your speed dial you know, to call up in the middle of the night, but you do have a good shepherd on the line. And if you will listen, you will hear him saying, I am your shepherd. You have all that you need. I will take care of you. I'll take your hand. He sings that over you. That's what Zephaniah, the Old Testament prophet, is saying in chapter 3, verse 17, describes this. Listen, listen, can you feel the Lord and can you hear His voice? It says, the Lord your God is with you and He is mighty to save. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Can you hear that voice of Jesus in your life when you most need it? God sings over us like that, y'all. You know what the word psalm means? It's the word that means song. So this is the 
23rd Psalm. It's, the, it's song number 23 that was written as a song that was sung to the sheep. It was sung by Israel and worship. It was sung by the church today. And now it's sung by God over you. I am your shepherd. You'll have everything you need. So let me just give you a couple things to hang on to. The next time you're in want, you feel like you want some stuff that you're not sure you, you're going to have. The next time you're struggling with something in a real way and you don't know if you're going to be taken care of, if you have everything you need, and you just need to be like a sheep, you need to be like Martin Luther King, you want to get on that phone and call up and hear the voice of the Lord, you're going to listen to Psalm 23 and you're going to hear the Good Shepherd pull you up into His arms and close to His heart you will hear Him say, I am your shepherd, you shall not want let me give you something to hang on to. Here, here's, here's a way to unpack that. You ready? We can get at this better if we will stop gazing and start grazing. Say it with me. Stop gazing, start grazing. Instead of constantly staring through the fence at something you don't have but you think you really want and need and it would make you happy, Stop gazing and start grazing. Enjoy the grass right in front of you. You know, talk to a shepherd and they say that's what sheep are. Some sheep are always focusing on the other pasture. Grass is always greener on that other side of the fence instead of enjoying the lush, verdant, green stuff they have. They'll tell you that certain sheep are kind of restless like that. They're always roaming like a cell phone in Antarctica, roaming all the time. They're looking around. They call them fence crawlers those kind of sheep that are discontented. It's not that they lack pasturage where they are. It's just that they have this tendency to want something different. And so they're afraid they're missing something, so they're always rooting around. Aren't sheep stupid? Or did you ever know any people like that? God gives us all kinds of gifts and blessings, but instead of grazing on them, sometimes we spend a lot of energy in our lives gazing, don't we? Oh, look over there. I wish I had that body. Oh, look over there. The grass is sure green that that house sits on or that family. I wish my boss would give me the recognition that he has. And these are the sources of our real struggles. If you give God control of your life, then we need to learn to be content with His control. A lot of Christians say, well, I trust God to be my shepherd and provide for me, but we spend a pretty full-time job just trying to meet our own needs, being dissatisfied and discontent with most of our life. We worry and we stress about how, what we're missing, and we nervously dig and scratch like one of those sheep along the edges of the fence of our whole life. Somehow it just ends up being a lot more stressful, and it's a life that sounds more like this version of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, but I see a lot of stuff I really want. I stumble from store to store and counselors to self-help books. Seeking relief, but I haven't found it yet. I creep through the valley of the shadow of death and I fall apart because I fear everything from pesticides to power lines, taxes to terrorists, and I'm starting to act like a neurotic freak. My boss named Rod and his entire staff are no comfort to me. When I go to work, I'm surrounded by a table of my enemies. I anoint my head with extra strength, excedrin, and sleeping pills. My Jack Daniels runneth over. Surely misery and misfortune will follow me all the days of my life. Unless I can find some greener grass somewhere else. 
And see, that version is a long way from I shall not want, isn't it? It's a long way. So you can stop gazing and start grazing. Enjoy the grass right where you are. Count your blessings and feed on it. See, it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Say perspective. Perspective refers to how you look at things. It doesn't change your circumstances. It changes how you look at reality. I heard a funny take on this recently. A preacher was saying, when you find yourself feeling your situation is pretty bad uh, and you're starting to gaze instead of graze, well, instead of saying the struggle is real, say another four words. And these are, these are the words. Ready? It could be worse. Everybody say that. It could be worse. Now, we're going to practice this a little together, and you're going to try it and see if it works this week, okay? So one more time with gusto, because you've got to mean it or it doesn't really work. Ready? It could be worse. That's right. So, for example, let's try it. Um, when you go home today after church, you pull into your driveway and you look at your house. You walk in your house and you begin to think, man, I wish I had a bigger house, a better house, a nicer house, a cleaner house, a house more like that one. You're not going to say any of that. Because instead, you're going to say with meaning, it could be worse. How's it feel? A little better yet? When you go get in your car on Monday and you go to work or you're running an errand and you come up to a traffic light and you look over and you see a beautiful car, the car of your dreams, the car with the leather seats and the package and all of the beautiful things you wish you had. And then you look and you realize you're driving that old Dodge minivan with the rust and the duct tape and the coffee stains and the bent antenna and the window that doesn't roll down right. And you're just thinking, man, if only I had that car, I'd be so much happier. That would be so sweet. I wonder, well, you're not going to say any of that because instead you're going to inhale, clear your throat and say like you mean it. Could be worse. It could be worse. And... When you step out of the shower tomorrow morning, and if you do that foolish, tragic, ill-advised thing, and you look in the mirror, <laughs> side view, upon seeing that vision, you might be tempted to say, man, I wish I had her body. Oh, I wish I had his skin. I wish I had the muscles and was tall and handsome like Ben. You're not going to say that. You're not going to say it. Instead, you're going to say... It could be worse. And if you're married and you're in bed and you wake up tomorrow morning and you look over there at your spouse. <laughs> Just remember your spouse says it could be worse. That's right. Because it's a matter of perspective. It really is. No matter how good your shepherd is, see, if you only focus on what you don't have, then you're going to completely miss out on the joy and the satisfaction of the blessings and provisions that he is pouring into your lap. You, you may not have that new house or car or body, but you've got a real shepherd. You've got a real shepherd perspective. Maybe that's the reason that Paul, in the, old, in the New Testament, could be sitting in a dark damp dungeon in prison for no real crimes but he's in prison with shackles around his ankles and arms sitting there with wrath running through his legs and yet he's the one in that moment who wrote these words philippians chapter 4 verse 4 he says be joyful in the lord always let me say it again rejoice you kidding me nope not kidding I mean, he doesn't know. Think about his situation now. He doesn't know at what moment he might be yanked out of that cell and killed. He doesn't know what's going to happen to his work, to his family, to his income, his name be vindicated. He doesn't know any of that. And yet in that moment, remember last week we talked, this is that same passage where he says, don't 
worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, and you'll find your peace. And then right after that, he gives us the secret. Because right there in a, in a dirt floor prison cell, he finds grass to graze on. Verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to have almost nothing. I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What's, what is the secret? I can do everything. I can handle anything. I can do, you put me anywhere you want. The difference is Christ who gives me strength. Christ who gives me strength. And so here is the transferable promise. The transferable promise Paul gives is a couple of verses later in verse 19. Put it on the screen because here it is. This is the part. This is where he says, and you know what? That same God, this same God who's provided for me, that leaves me to say, I shall not want, and has provided for all my needs. That same God who takes care of me, the same God who took care of the Apostle Paul in prison, the same God who spoke in a voice to Martin Luther King Jr., the same God who has bailed out and helped and come to the aid of Ben and Carla Kacharis time and time again in my life. I'm telling you right now, this same God who takes care of all of us will supply your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I shall not want. So you can stop gazing and start grazing. It's a matter of perspective. You know, perspective is important, isn't it? Sheep need to have perspective. So it's okay, for example, it's okay to just be old-fashioned and pray every time you sit down and eat a meal because you're grateful for that food, because you just happen to know that there are every hour of the day more than a thousand children under the age of five that are dying from not having clean water or good food. It's okay to remember that. Because that'll help you know you're taken care of instead of whining about how they didn't make my food right. It's okay. Perspective's good. Tonight at some restaurant here in Hartford County probably, the biggest concern of some paying customer during the game as they order their steak will be that their steak was undercooked. It was rare instead of medium rare or something like that. And, 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 and the truth is that in this country alone, over 20 million people live in poverty and have food insecurity every single day. It's okay to remember those things, isn't it? I got an email from friends who are doing some Christian work in Niger, in Africa. Email on Friday said uh, there are some violent raids in the streets and members of the radical Muslim group Boko Haram are still angry about Charlie Hebdo and they were terrorizing the city, going into the streets with bows and arrows and clubs, kind of... Uh, angry and taking it out on a lot of the Christians. And then Saturday, yesterday, I got another follow-up email. This is saying, this is Neil writing, and as I write, Islamic extremists are in the town of Niamey, and all the Christian churches and all of the pastors' homes have all been burned down. And he ends the email saying, will you pray for us? Because we need to figure out where we're going to meet for worship tomorrow. You know, we have a partnership with friends in India as well. A lot of you remember Central India Christian Mission. Uh, Ajay Lal has been here before. Abhijit Lal was just here. Uh, we love that mission. And we have other churches in the U.S. that partner as well. My friend Eddie Lowen is there right now. He's there today. Preached there this morning. Yesterday he spent some time with some Christians who've been persecuted there. Hindu extremists can make life very difficult for Christians in India today. Here's an email that Eddie wrote to me last night. A woman described her husband being beaten to death in front of her and then her two-month-old's head, skull, was slammed into a wall. 
it's difficult to process that level of loss and evil. My wife Sharon just held her while I held on to a man whose father was burned to death in front of him for being a Christ follower. Most of the pastors whose houses have been burned or who have been beaten spend a couple of months in a safe house and then they go back to their ministry posts. One pastor's wife was killed in front of him. Six months later, he went back to the church and he's grown that church to 1,000 families. It's a little like the book of Acts. Despite the persecution, the church is growing. And yet we all know that all over this country, this weekend, churchgoers will complain that their church service was too long or too crowded or the temperature wasn't right or the music was too loud or the preacher was too boring or the kids didn't connect. Friends, those are struggles that aren't real. Not really. So perspective. Perspective's not only okay, it's important for a sheep. It's really important. Because that's the key to a marriage. The, the happiest marriages happen when a person, instead of comparing your spouse to some ideal, illusory partner, you start loving the one you're with and appreciating them as a gift from God. You stop gazing and you start grazing. Husbands, I tell you, if you're married, you go home and you nibble vigorously on the earlobe of your spouse. Just do it. And if she says, what in the world are you doing? You tell him, I'm grazing. I'm grazing. It's in the Bible. Ben said, just do it. Trust me. Love the one that God gave you. That's the green grass. The best adjusted kids grow up in homes where there is delight in who that child is, not some other kid that they're not quite like, not a constant undergirding and a sense of dissatisfaction about who they're turning out to be. Sometimes you have to graze on your own kids. The best jobs aren't the highest paying ones or with the sexiest workplace. They're the ones where people go to work realizing it's a privilege and a joy and an honor to do so and that they find joy in the people and the tasks around them, whatever it is in the pasture where they work. Let me ask you a question. In what part of your life are you gazing when you could and should be grazing? And learn just to say, the Lord is my shepherd. As he draws you up close to his heart, just let yourself say, I shall not want. As he sings over you, let that song free you from the prison of want and greed, from the treadmill of money that lies to us and tells us if we had a little more, we'd be okay and happy. Let it free you from the lie that a lot of people live in. And they never seem to figure out that their earning power never catches up to their yearning power. Let it free you to the beautiful truth that you can just know that whatever you don't have in this world, if you've got Jesus, you've got enough. Whatever you don't have in this world, and there's a lot of stuff we want, you'll never be in want if you have Jesus. You came naked into this world, you go naked out of it, and all that's going to matter on that day is if you know the voice of your shepherd. That's all that's going to matter. So it means that right now that's all that matters too, really. And we need that perspective. And when you do, well, you're not gazing, you're grazing. You're fed, you're taken care of, and you know it. 
you can hear the voice. Because Jesus is enough. Someone overheard a father and a daughter in an airport. In their last moments together, they, they hugged near the security gate, and the father told his daughter, he said, I love you, and I wish you enough. And she said, I, I, I wish you enough too, Daddy. They kissed, and she laughed, and the father looked as if he was going to cry. He said to the man next to him, he said, did you ever say goodbye to someone knowing it would probably be forever? He explained that she lived far away now, and he was old, and the next time she'd probably be able to come back would be for his funeral. The man asked the father, he said, hey, I heard you say goodbye, and I wish you enough. What do you mean? He smiled, and he said, uh, yeah, that's a thing between us. We, we have this prayer that we, we say for each other that the other person would have just enough and be filled with just enough good things to sustain them. And then from memory, he recited it, and it goes like this. I wish you enough, son, to keep your attitude bright. I wish you enough rain to appreciate the sun. I wish you enough happiness to keep your spirit alive. And I wish you enough pain so that the small joys in life appear big. I wish you enough gain to satisfy what you need. And I wish you enough loss to appreciate what you have. And I wish you enough hellos to get you through all the final goodbyes. I wish you enough. Friend, that's really, the, that's really what the song of this 23rd Psalm is saying to you from your shepherd. I wish you enough. And if you have me, you've got it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that whatever we don't have in this life, if we have him, we have enough. So, just will you give him to us again in a fresh way today? Be our shepherd. Come to us, Lord. Scoop us up and hold us close to your heart and give us Jesus, we pray, and let him be enough. Amen.